Podcast. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hold on to your butt. Come on, sucker. Let's get it on. Oh, you want to fight? You want to fight? I do not entertain hypotheticals. The world as it is is vexing enough. You don't know anybody named the Irish? I don't know nobody named Irish. Can I have a piece of toast? I don't give a damn what you think you are entitled to. We are changing the course of history as we see it. That is what Western demands. How could you do this to me? Really, I want to know. Why did you do that? What you feel only matters to you. Step back for one minute and look at the big picture. And that's all. No, no, not for the real fire. The author's bond very few can understand. Help me! Help you! drugs. <laughs> or whatever movies with Wesley and Iris. <laughs> Is this thing really called Pig? Yep. What up? And welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I'm your co-host, Iris, and I'm here with my older brother. Wesley. <laughs> Today we're talking a new release, a movie from 2021, Pig. Pig. That's how you say it, too. Pig. 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 Do you think that the... Okay, obviously, there's a pig. <laughs> Poster quote. <laughs> Do you... And I'm looking if there's a credited pig. There is. What's the pig's name? Brandy. She's a fine pig. <laughs> Although, it, they never named the pig in the movie. No, it was just my pig, or truffle pig, or pig pig. Um, but do you think that the pig title also refers to, like, pigging out, eating? Um, maybe. Actually, pigging out would be the family version of this movie, where the <laughs> pig gets kidnapped and they go on a wacky adventure to recover it. <laughs> uh, oh, that's a great alternate universe for pig. That's the Saturday morning cartoon version. <laughs> Remember when, like, all the rated R movies in junk were suddenly cartoons, like Rambo cartoons and stuff? No. The, when did this ha- Was this, like, a, a late 80s thing? Yeah. Uh, a lot of the rated R movies were big in toys. Terminator oh. and Aliens and stuff had toys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Action figures is what they call them, but yes. Yep. Well, I guess you don't really pig out on deconstructed scallops. Yeah, you can't really. <laughs> yeah. What, are you rich? <laughs> But you, I mean, you just don't, even if you can afford deconstructed scallops, you don't, you're more like tasting them. 
I would hope so. In a low-key, hopefully unpretentious way, Kelly and I have become foodies in the last several years. That was kind of like our courtship, was finding these interesting foods and stuff. Nicolas Cage said that's what he spends a lot of his money on, is he's a big foodie as well. Huh. And I understand that for premium, difficult, expensive ingredients, there's a different level of foodieism. It's mm -hmm. like, you know, we're, we're enjoying this because it has a significant dollar value attached to it. That's that, I don't think that's where we are, but mm -hmm. that's definitely where this movie was. Like the goldfish bowl full of pine cone smoke. <laughs> Essence of Douglas fir or something. Yeah. I think it goes a little bit too far. When you see the disparity <laughs> between still bloody, never changed his long johns, Nicolas Cage, in the Portland restaurant, and they bring out the little thing of smoke, you're like, that's a little bit excessive, right? Yeah, they weren't like, restaurants have the right to refuse service to anybody, right? Nobody took a second look at Nicolas Cage's homeless chic character. Not even chic, just like homeless looking-ish <laughs> character. <laughs> You know, I had a real problem with this. I had a, a, sim, a similar problem with this. Especially that we never see Nicolas Cage wash his hands. Like when they prepare the meal at Amir's dad's house, shouldn't there have been the ceremonial washing of hands and tying on of the bandana and stuff? I would say his reputation precedes him, which I think it does in this movie. I also think his smell preceded him in all areas of this movie, and no one seemed to pay any attention to it. If he wasn't willing to wipe off blood and stuff, he definitely isn't into the hygiene thing. Maybe he was trying to make some kind of appearance statement, but then at the end, there is some kind of ceremonial bathing moment. And I was like, was that his morning blood? Like, <laughs> until he gets pig back, like he keeps it on or something? I don't know, man. I mean, it, it seemed to apply to everyone. As inexplicable that he would never wash his face or his hands, the idea that they would seat him in this impossible-to-get-reservations-for restaurant looking like he did is absurd. Right. I mean, because it's not like he traded on, oh, I'm Robin Feld, and oh my goodness, a Chef Feld, please, right this way. No one knew who he was until the chef came out and talked to them. Amir does evoke the Robin Feld name in order to get the reservation from his meat butcher friend. So it's not like the restaurant didn't know. If that guy is the owner of that restaurant and Amir used the Robin Feld name, the chef would definitely hear about it and anticipate it. Mm. I mean, look, if there was ever a fly by the seat of your pants looking for a pig movie, this is the one. There were a lot of things that might, with the benefit of some a little bit more money and a little bit more time, have been a little bit smoother. Total run for this shoot, 20 days. 20 days? Yep. Wow, that's a sprint. And you of all people would know how impossible that is. How long did it take to shoot Smokey? <laughs> three days. And, that's and that was for? Three minutes. Yeah. So that would equate to a 20-minute film, which this wasn't. And I was going to say, but we had animal wranglers and horses and stuff, but this had a pig, which needed to be trained. Nope. They had neither the time nor the budget to train this pig. So Brandy, the pig, was au naturel, uncured? Yep. It was just a farm pig who was cute and had personality, and personality goes a long way. Brandy's certainly cute, but we didn't get much time with Brandy, I think. I don't think we got enough time with Brandy to establish the rapport between Brandy and Rob. I mean, we get that Rob's very attached to Brandy. It didn't really come through for Rob except in his passion and his insistence on defending the pig finding the pig like he met up with poor man's Kristen Wiig and other crackhead and knew that they stole his pig 
pig and we're just he was just like no I, I want the pig and didn't care about them didn't wasn't interested in punishment or prosecution anything like that right his involvement with the pig i think it was maybe one-sided i don't think the pig necessarily returned rob's <laughs> affection like I said, the pig wasn't trained. I guess they spent about a week trying to whip the pig into shape, but it did bite Nicolas Cage a couple of times and basically just went where the food was. So if the pig needed to go cozy up to Rob, they'd put some food by Nicolas Cage. Ooh. And a third aspect that I'm realizing about this movie after the fact is I don't feel like we ever got a really good look at anybody Huh. Um, we did have some close-ups of Rob and Amir and the chef, but I always felt like this was a very non-close-up Steven Soderbergh's Shea kind of movie where I felt at arm's length huh. for most of Pig. Do you feel that way? Like you never quite got in. Maybe it's because Nicolas Cage's focus is so narrow. Like he isn't really there to engage. He's there to find his pig. And so we have that kind of unwillingness to engage that maybe he's motivated by Nicolas Cage's character? Maybe. It was just a lot of wide and a lot of dark. Yeah, it was dark. You know, like that beautiful shot where he's sewing or something and yep. Amir's trying to have a conversation with Rob. And it's like, who? what's he sewing? I don't know. Because they never showed it. Exactly. It was that one angle, kind of his over the shoulder. And it's very, it's beautifully composed. And the lighting and the mist and the atmosphere is gorgeous. Forest shots were great, yeah. I do feel like given their limited budget and schedule, a lot of the natural lighting shots were intentional. Mm, so gorgeous, like so much production value in that forest. But you know who we, who we do get a lot of? I actually think we get the most up in the grill performance from the deconstruction chef. That guy was next to Amir, the most acty performance. Because no one was telling Nicolas Cage, in this scene, we want your face to change. We want to see the pain etched across it. And a faint glimmer of hope that's extinguished when blah, blah, blah. No, right? They're just going to let Nicolas Cage hide behind the beard with his soulful, mournful eyes. But restaurant chef's got to put it all out there. We're all up in that grill and those funky teeth. And he's having his moment of crisis, like, all up on his face. At that point, I was still trying... There were some barriers for entry getting into this story. Yeah. Because Robin wasn't going to explain a damn thing to us. Right. And Kelly and I both spoke up like, I have no idea what's happening right, right now. It requires some real patience on our part. And it obviously had nothing to do with him being Robin Feld's protege or what he became or what he wanted to be or anything like that. Kind of buying into the pretentiousness of the upscale Portland gastropub or whatever the hell i was still trying to figure out where this character stood this robin character in a world in which he obviously didn't belong at least any longer mm -hmm. and yet was still there and could trade on his name if that's what he wanted and sometimes was forced to do the robin character is kind of like the chef version of john wick where <laughs> yeah you all you need to do is evoke his name and then you see in people's reactions what his reputation might mean. We see the people respond to the Robinfeld name in the underground battle scene, but at that point yep. you're still like what is happening and why is he getting <laughs> beaten? The restaurant fight club? That was bizarro. But then in the the restaurant you're like, okay, it's starting to come together. He's a very well-respected chef and even though he's been out of the scene, non-existent, his name still carries a lot of power and his presence means something but i didn't get the feels in the gastropub chef conversation nor did i right and it's like i'm 
third party removed observing something that I don't quite buy or understand. I agree. That's what I was feeling. I was still trying to get my footing and I wasn't secure enough with who or why any of these people were. In the chef fight club, which I could call like restaurant fight club, but fight club was also kind of restaurant fight club. They were all like <laughs> service workers and junk who, huh. who were dissatisfied with their lives. At that point, we didn't know when he wrote his name down and they all gasped that maybe we should have known. Oh, he's a big deal in the restaurant industry. We knew that everybody worked in restaurants because Robin laid it out when he went through the secret passage. And Amir even was in the dark, had no idea what was going on. But still, I didn't make that connection until that chef scene. And so that connective thread was more of what I was paying attention to. It was everybody was a satellite around Robin Feld and not, I didn't care about that chef's story in particular. I also wrote down John Wick, but it didn't seem right. So I, I the best I could come up with was John Hick. Farmer John Wick. <laughs> but I thought that this movie was going to be him hunting down and murdering people who had the audacity to take his pig, but it never ended up being the case. Can I have my, can I do my Iris question corner where I ask you questions that you have no business knowing or, understand, or answering? <laughs> Sure. Are truffles not farm-grown? Appears to be the case. And is it well known that the trees tell you where to find them? I had never heard that information myself. I have heard of truffle hunting pigs, as I'm sure you have. There was even a documentary last year called The Truffle Hunters, which I didn't see. But uh, also well-established is this weird food mafia. Yeah. You remember when the avocados were really scarce and people in Mexico were hijacking avocado trucks? <laughs> no. Truffles are a real thing. There's potential for people to get hurt. I mean, I think that's where the underground-y type feel comes from where Mac is the foremost dealer and she's going to break fingers and tweakers are involved because these are the kinds of fringe people that inhabit this world. Right. And until we got into what this world was, I thought they were constructing a fantasy world. It's just like Dirty Walden. Um, <laughs> like Dirty Walden as in Thoreau? Yeah. The, like the big, like this, these are the back kitchens of the big city kind of thing. I didn't know what was happening. Yeah, this is high food culture underground. Was it strange to you? I'm going to turn one of the questions on you. I'm sure you have more. That Rob in no way suspected apparently the only person who knew about him and his pig? <laughs> I mean, the sort it, it was a revelation that Amir told his dad, I'm sorry I told him about you, right. resulting in your pig getting stolen. Amir was the only one who knew. How was he never a suspect in Rob's eyes? Did he not care? Yeah, I don't know. The The moment that Amir shows up after the break-in and the kidnap and the pig-napping, I'm like, oh, I really hope it's not him. And I think I kind of knew in the back of my mind that it was or that, he, that he'd be connected because, like you said, there are so few connections to go on. Like, he has to be connected in some way. But I thought that it was possible that in Rob's singular focus in getting his truffle pig back, it didn't really matter if Amir was involved or not. Like, it wasn't like he was going to accuse him. He knew about the tweakers. He knew about the truck. That was his lead, and nothing else really mattered. The motivations didn't concern Rob whatsoever. Amir, he seemed to be awfully accommodating of Rob, and at one point literally accommodated him in his home. But if you're going to bring Rob into the restaurants and into your high-rise glass and steel condo, also offer him a shower, right? 
Maybe a sweatshirt. Have it door dashed. He does offer him the, the camping shower, the propane heated camp shower at the top. So he's aware of his um, need for hygiene. I guess at some point, once he finds out who he is after the underground fight club thing, then he can't ask anything of him. He's Robin Feld. He does what Robin Feld does. I mean, look, at some point we're going to have to get to this pervasive character disconnect. Uh, let's go. I did feel like anytime people spoke other characters would talk in response but it would be at cross purposes <laughs> right when he's like my parents had this amazing meal and it was at your place and he's like the earthquake is coming and then the deluge and we're all gonna die exactly and i thought that was just rob aka nicholas cage being crazy but then it happened consistently it, it was a false note that the interaction or the dialogue had where they really wanted that character to say a thing, but it just wasn't the proper response to the thing that they were responding to. It's hard to come up with an example, but there was the sitting down with the lady, I guess his former restaurant worker who had turned baker. I got the impression that that space where she was running the bakery was his old restaurant site because he said, like, you took the curtains down and, oh, yeah, your wife wanted it that way. And he's like, it looks better, you know? Yeah, that was another one of those situations where the I mean, the whole scene plays out with them sitting across from each other at the table and we're on this wide profile two shot and like upstairs. Like the camera's upstairs. I don't know what that lady looks like. Exactly. Or what their relationship is. But the takeaway was that he was kind of making his rounds. If he's going to come up from underground, he's going to get some cookies and some bread. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and maybe take a little bit of a walk down memory lane, which he does not only at what's presumably the former site of his restaurant, but his former home. And all that is subtext reading between the lines, because what we actually get in the scene is him saying, and obviously there's weight to some of the things that they say, and it speaks to the past and their past relationship. But on a surface level, we get Robin saying, do you still make your salted baguette? And she says, Robin, I do make it. And you're like, what? <laughs> like, what's happening right now? That's not the appropriate response. This is the. And maybe there was some baguette history they had where she would make it for him after a difficult shift because she reveals his genius, <laughs> culinary genius. I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's not exactly a non sequitur, although even... You get the idea, though. Right, right, right. And it is illustrative of one of those moments where you're like, there's supposed to be a lot of meaning here, and I'm supposed <laughs> to get some kind of feeling from it, but instead I'm kind of doing the sideways glance at nobody in particular. Both Kelly and I turned to each other after, <laughs> you know, it cuts to black, and we just kind of like chuckled. <laughs> like, this is a sideways glancing kind of movie, right? There are definitely these kinds of movies that one could call pretentious that are annoying. And I wasn't annoyed. I was kind of more amused, kind of more willing, I guess, to go along for the ride. I think only Nicolas Cage could have convincingly done this performance. It feels like a Nicolas Cage movie through and through. It's slightly unhinged, slightly confusing and bewildering. But at the same time, there is some level of reverence. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if they found Nicolas Cage living in the woods, all homeless, and was like, you used to be an amazing actor, and we want you to return to Hollywood and visit your old haunts. You know what I mean? Or in this case, Portland. Like, the new upstart director would be like, I got to take a meeting with this this guy. Who is this homeless person? <gasps> Mr. Cage. <laughs> oh, my goodness. You know what I mean? Uh -oh. 
Like only Nicolas Cage could do a movie this unhinged and make it serious and somehow just north of pretentious. Nicolas Cage, he's never been one of my favorite actors, but he has had some great performances. Like I loved him and Sam Rockwell in Matchstick Men. And obviously there's Raising Arizona. I know you love Leaving Las Vegas. We reviewed him in The Family Man. And uh, what are some of his beloved performances? <laughs> well, one that I saw six times in the theater at a particular time in my life. I don't know about beloved. It may have been the turn into schlocky, crazy territory, but he was in Con Air, which That's everyone right. loves. Face Off, he did that kind of whole stuff for a while. I, at one point, I did consider Nicolas Cage one of my top five favorite actors, but that was a different me. When his company in the top acting categories were Anthony Hopkins and Kevin Spacey and Gary Oldman. And, oh, I mean, Gary Oldman might still be up there, but he's also crazy. But I had a lot of reverence for Nicolas Cage in the mid-90s, as everyone did. So is Pig Nicolas Cage's return to serious acting? He obviously didn't do this. I mean, I assume he did not do Pig for the money. I mean, I do think that the last Nicolas Cage movie before Pig was Willy's Wonderland, which in itself is a knockoff of Five Nights at Freddy's, which in itself is based on a video game, like an app. Like Nicolas Cage is now doing knockoffs of video game properties. That's really bad. And then he comes with Pig and he's got another movie coming out that apparently is high profile called The Unbearable Weight of Staggering Talent or Considerable Talent, something like that. Is that a follow up to heartbreaking work of Staggering Genius? Which never saw the screen. I'm not, I think people view that book as unfilmable. It's also very dated. It's a very particular time. It is. It's very Gen X-y. Like... Real world-y, like early 90s. Exactly. But you talk about Nicolas Cage's like serious, quote unquote, return to acting. This is a little nothing, no budget movie by a first time director for a script that people seem to, that seems to resonate with some people. The author said that he understands this story, this movie, this script is polarizing. You either love it or you're like, ah, I don't really understand it. And his big return I guess his return to form is all of a 20-day shoot by a first-time director. It's not a coincidence. It's not fortuitous chance. Nicolas Cage is a strong actor. He just seems to get desperate and runs out of money and does stuff for the money, kind of the same way Anthony Hopkins ended up doing it for a while. And occasionally he has his hits, and more often than not, he has his misses. He never stopped. But just uh, he did a junket for this one, and it seems like he's positioning himself for something of a dramatic, serious comeback a la Matthew McConaughey. And maybe that'll happen. It was probably a real get for the filmmaking team. This Michael Sarnowski director guy, he's got a director-editor type background. It feels like a little bit of a return to some kind of classic independent filmmaking where producer has an idea, producer develops a story develops a script, brings on a director. Maybe the director was, you know, there at the inception, but it's a it seems like a very organic filmmaking team with a super original voice diving documentary style into a world where the common person doesn't have access. Like I loved that we got a peek into the restaurant and truffle dealing underground. And it, it just it lent the story a very unique setting and flavor, if you will. <laughs> flavor. And that's ultimately where we end up, which is where this movie firmly places us, which is confusion and wonderment and maybe some curiosity to kind of a fully fleshed out realization of, look, you either love it or you don't, but at least you understand 
what this movie is. They are skimming the surface of a real and complicated world with sparse dialogue and and knowing looks and inferences and things. And it stands, I guess, on larger shoulders than itself. And while it might be a little shaky in its climb initially, ultimately we get there. And I believe we understand something, even if it's not qualified to, you know, this is the movie that blew the lid off the <laughs> underground truffle industry. <laughs> it touches on it in such a way that it uses it to its advantage. And it does feel bigger to me than a 20-day movie made for basically no money in local Portland restaurants. And maybe some of that is the mystery and the strangeness of Nicolas Cage, who brings something to it 20 years past his prime, showing up in a movie and being regarded in the same way as the Fight Clubbers or the right. the chef. Some parallels there. It adds some credibility, and that credibility sticks, in a way, for Pig. I do think that Nicolas Cage's personal story comes to bear in this somehow. It's like Nicolas Cage underwrote this whole movie. Without him, it's so indie and so out there that I don't think that the audience would show up. But because it's Nicolas Cage, and I could see how this would be a role that he would want to sink his teeth into. I mean... Don't um, think that that pun was lost on me. <laughs> he makes the film, and the filmmakers bring this unique world to light. But yeah, so Pig... I pig is pig is Mark. <laughs> it seems hard for you to get past this title. It really is, and in the, and there's so much to it. It's like they're really trying to juxtapose this dirty, gritty thing with these haute cuisine, like this juxtaposition of this dirty man cooking this exquisite meal, or you know, this dirty animal sourcing some of the world's most expensive ingredients. Like they play a lot with this juxtaposition. And I think that pig in this context feels like kind of a loaded word, and then it's just kind of a funny word to say in general. But Pig for me is marking a turning point. I'm going to officially stop comparing every movie to Kong versus Godzilla. <laughs> Godzilla versus Kong. I will never mention Godzilla versus Kong again. I am really going to try and let movies speak for themselves and be rated as close to in a vacuum as they can be. And for that, I think that, I mean, Pig is virtually incomparable to Godzilla versus King Kong. <laughs> <laughs> Which one would he be? Would he be God, Godzilla or Kong? Uh, he would be he would be Kong. Yeah, and then Amir's dad would be Godzilla, right? Yeah, he's got all the world going for him. Much shinier. Kong's our forest dwelling uh, underdog, <laughs> under pig. <laughs> so pig judged on its own merit, allowing for Nicolas Cage's baggage to kind of inform the overall film and his performance. I think that Pig has something special to offer. It's pretty niche. It's pretty small, but it's refreshing. It's different. It's good. And so I was trying to think of the metaphor for this, like digging stuff up at the base of a tree that looks like poop and then making it into a glorious meal. A cooking challenge. Take five basic ingredients and try to make something unusual out of it. Make a dish no one's ever seen before. And it's like Nicolas Cage has a nose for this kind of nothing movie in the dirt for like two million bucks in 20 days and just sniffs it out and shows that he still has a truffle hunting ability. <laughs> 
And so I'm translating that into an all right. As strange as it is, it's an all right movie. And it, it really is good to see Nicolas Cage. I'm not sure how much I believed this film around it, but it did scratch the surface to where you're like, oh, that's kind of strange and unsettling. But also, what's in? as long as we broke through this wall, as long as we opened this door, as long as we pulled this dirty rack out of the way in this basement kitchen, like, what's in there? What's in that hole? It's a restaurant fight club. So yeah, it was a, an all right movie. <laughs> you know, I'm really disappointed. Not a single bacon reference in this whole review. Or in the movie. Well, no, he said he was going to chop him into bacon. Do you think, I mean, because he was making threats, get out of my house. And then apparently Robin then made him the meal that evoked his grand meal with that he had with his wife. And it brought him to tears, brought him to an emotional, honest state. And then he said that the pig was dead. But that guy's also an evil mastermind, right? Is the pig actually dead? And he just said the thing that needed to break Robin down and make him fall on the floor and give up the quest? Or is that pig out there right now hunting up truffles for the bad guy? <laughs> no, he was in such an honest and vulnerable state. He was incapable of lying. The meal restored his humanity, and he was able to deliver Robin the truth that Robin, frankly, needed to hear. And that oh, was true. Man. So he got what he needed to hear, and then he went back and listened to his wife's cover of Bruce Springsteen's I'm on Fire. I guess that's what it was. Pig is a, a curiosity in many ways. I'm going to close out this review with a bacon joke. Ready? Yep. I saw a fir tree with bacon growing from it the other day. Turned out that it was a porcupine. Porcupine. Well, that's the worst. Alexa, tell me a pig joke. Uh, what do you call a pig that does karate? What do you call a pig that does karate? Pork chop. Wow. Oh, Wrap it up. <laughs> <laughs> and that's our review on Pig. Available in theaters and on VOD on Amazon Prime. Let us know what you think about Pig. And also send us your best bacon joke at orwhatevermovies at gmail.com or on Instagram at or whatever movies. Thank you for listening to our review on Pig and we'll see you next time. I remember all my life raining down as cold as ice shadows of a man a face through a window crying in the night the night goes into morning just another day happy Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. Come with us backstage, behind the scenes of show business spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list, and everyone in between. Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your host for the, the Candle, Candle Power, Power Hour. Hour. Welcome to Ringside with Ray and Prince. My name is Ray Leonard Jr. Oh, that's just my 
Dad. My name is Prince Daniels Jr. Daniels again with a big hole. On this show, we come to humanize athletes, entertainers, business executives. We're going to see what makes them tick. Tuesdays, 10 a.m. Pacific time on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you there. Peace and power. Electric Acid. Electric Acid.